0: You know what a mentalist is, right? Mentalist is, often people think mentalists as mind readers. Sometimes they're associated with magicians. Sometimes mentalists uh, have actually studied human behavior and and, uh, studied human psychology and they're able to draw from people information from them without them even knowing it and then able to guess and predict things. Well, uh, I am not a mentalist, but... I think this morning that I can tell you the answer to a question uh, that just about all of you will have uh, that I'm going to ask in a minute. So, you ready? ready. All right. Here's the question. What's the biggest step of faith you have ever taken in your life? Now, don't say anything. Just think about it. What's the biggest step of faith you have ever taken in your life? So, think about the answer. Concentrate. Concentrate. Send those mental vibes to me, and I'll see if I can if I can catch it here. So here we go. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm getting some stuff here. Oh, okay, I'm getting something. Oh, this is, no, that's not the answer to the question, but apparently somebody's thinking about going kayaking today. Oh, Brenda. Makes sense. Okay, but concentrate on the question. What's the biggest step of faith you've ever taken in your life? So concentrate. Okay, aha, okay, now I'm getting something else. Again, yeah, it's not the answer to the question. Somebody's thinking about a nickname. The name is Doofus. <laughs> and it's either the name of their dog, or, no, it's a nickname they have for their husband. <laughs> Chanel? Actually, it's Nancy who has that nickname. <laughs> Alright. Concentrate. What's the biggest step of faith you've ever taken in your life? Okay, I've got it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the biggest step of, of faith that you've ever taken in your life is the day you believed on Jesus Christ. And think about it. You probably, somebody probably talked to you about Christ, and perhaps you read some stuff, maybe you read the Bible, but mostly, For most people, it's when somebody shares the gospel with them and they accept Christ. And think about it. You accepted Christ without ever hearing a single word personally from Christ. You accepted Christ without ever seeing him, ever watching him do a miracle. But you accepted Christ. Biggest step of faith. And you're trusting Christ for your eternity. That's a big step of faith. Well, faith is our... Subject today, as it has been for the last couple of weeks, and it, and it will be for at least a couple more weeks, the author of Hebrews up to now has been talking about uh, Jesus. He's been talking about the superiority of Jesus. He's superior to Moses and to angels and to the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is our great high priest, and he serves serves in a heavenly tabernacle, and he provided the greatest, the superior sacrifice once for all for our sin that allows us to enter the family of God. And along with this demonstration of Jesus' superiority, the author has warned his readers. And basically the content of the warning is, if you reject Jesus Christ, there's nothing left. There's nothing left for salvation. There's no way for you to be able to achieve salvation on your own. But even giving the warnings, the author of Hebrews is uh, pretty encouraged. By his readers, in their faith. In Hebrews ten thirty nine, it says, "We're not one of those; we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and perse- and preserve their souls." So we get to chapter eleven, as we have been for a couple of weeks now, and the, the author of Hebrew wants to shows it, show his flock and us what faith looks like, and he does that by citing examples of faith—people who have demonstrated what. We might call intense faith. We're going to look today at the faith of Abraham, who obeyed God. We're going to look at the principle that the Hebrew the author of Hebrews wants to draw out about faith, and that's about faith looking forward. And then we'll look at the faith of Abraham that not let him not just led him not just to obey, but to believe, and to believe really the unbelievable. And then lastly, we'll take a quick look at the faith of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who all look forward in their faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for providing faith. Thank you for making faith the the highway to you and the strength to follow you and the the fortitude and the courage to listen to you and to hear you and to do what you called us to do. Give us some understanding of faith today, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By faith Abraham obeyed. Hebrews 8, 11, 8-12. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, for one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. In chapter 11... The author began in verses 1 through 3, which Nate preached on a couple of weeks ago, he began his uh, exploration of faith by, by citing the definition of faith. You remember the definition of faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Nate talked to us about that, and I appreciate one thing that Nate, that Nate said. He said, faith has eyes to see. That applies to what we're going to talk about today. And then in verses 4-7, through Caleb preached through last week, and we learned that faith is what pleases God. The main character today in our passage is Abraham, which makes sense because Abraham, for Jews in Judaism, was the exemplary Jew. He was the one who was a near-perfect human who obeyed God in nearly every point and who showed faith. The author says that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to another country. Now, Abraham didn't have a GPS on his cell phone. He may not have had a cell phone. He couldn't punch in Ur, the Chaldees, to Canaan. He didn't even know where Canaan was. He didn't know the name of the land. God said, just follow me and I'll show you where to go. He didn't know where he was going but he knew that it would be a place that God would give him as an inheritance, which is the first part of the promise God gave Abraham. And we need to note that Abraham never saw that promise fulfilled. Abraham lived in that land as a foreigner. In that land that God promised Abraham, he moved from place to place like a nomad, never owning anything except a plot of land where he and his wife Sarah would eventually be buried. Abraham lived his tents, as did his sons Isaac and Jacob, um, also receivers of the same promises that God promised Abraham, never owning, never conquering any land. What kind of faith do you think that took? You know, we often think in, of faith in terms of amount or volume. She has great faith, we might say. But the author of Hebrews doesn't look at it that way. For the author, faith has to do with its goal and its object. The author tells us that it took faith that look forward. Not to the land, but as he says, looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And that was part one of the promise, the land. The other part of the promise was a descendant. Not just a descendant, but a whole host of descendants, out of which God said that he he would make Abraham a great nation. Abraham believed that promise. He believed a promise of a son. He believed the promise that God would make him a great nation. In fact, if you look at Genesis 15, it tells us there, That based on Abraham's belief in that promise, the promise of a child, that God declared Abraham righteous. But there was a problem. Abraham and Sarah, try as they might, couldn't produce a child. And while God declared Abraham righteous because of his faith, his faith was not perfect. In fact, in chapter 16 of Genesis, 20 years or so after the events of chapter 15, Abraham has a child, but not with Uh, He had a child with Hagar, his servant. The child's name was Ishmael. That was not the child of promise. And later on, in chapter 17, we're told that when God came to Abraham and promised him this child, in fact, he said, a year from now, you'll have this child with Sarah. Sarah laughed at the idea. She laughed at the idea that she could possibly have a child when she was 90 years old. Sometimes we forget that Abraham also laughed at that prospect. Yet, as imperfect as it was, Abraham's faith did cause him to believe God. In verse 11 of our passage here, it says that Sarah received the power to conceive, considering him God faithful, considering God would fulfill the promise. And Sarah and Abraham... Both of them, in their imperfect faith, believe God would give them a son because they consider God faithful. And again, this passage doesn't speak to the volume of faith. It doesn't speak to imperfected faith. It speaks to the designer and the builder of that permanent city, the city with foundations, who is God. Abraham believed the promise of the land of inheritance, but he believed that because he looked forward to that other place, the place whose builder is God. Abraham looked forward to God. And then as verse 12 notes, the promise of a great nation was eventually fulfilled. Therefore, from one man, as him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. But Abraham didn't see that promise either. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 You know, God made these promises to Abraham several times over the course of his life. And as he got older, uh, Abraham made that promise again. He made the promise when Abraham was 99 years old, before Isaac was born. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may, I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father to a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, they all died. (laughs) It's a great way to give an explanation of faith. The ones referred to, of course, are Abraham, along with Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, and others. Isaac and Jacob having received the same promises, They never saw the fulfillment of those promises. In fact, it would be generations before those promises, at least in part, were fulfilled. The author clarifies his point, saying that they had all seen these promises, and they greeted those promises afar. They knew that they wouldn't see those promises, remembering the definition of faith, the conviction of things not seen. Abraham and his family realized that they would not see the physical fulfillment of those promises, but because they trusted God, because God is the one who made the promises. But there's even more to this forward-looking faith. They acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners. They were foreigners. They were temporary residents. They were aliens. They were sojourners. So even with the promises of the land and of the nation, even as they were fulfilled, this planet was not their home. And Abraham said as much. Genesis 23, 4. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for, for a burying place that I might bury my dead out of my sight. And then David, centuries later, Psalm thirty nine twelve, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not ignore my sob- sobbing. For I am a resident a foreigner with you, a temporary sell- settler, just as all my ancestors were. The author makes note that people who talk this way, those who acknowledge their temporary status on the earth, show they are seeking a homeland, a place to settle down, a place of permanence where they're no longer foreigners. And the author notes that if Abraham thought if that homeland was the place he had left, he could have gone back. But he didn't go back, which demonstrates his faith in the future, and in the future with God. He demonstrates his faith that he was seeking a permanent place, not a place on earth. So Abraham and all who exercise his forward-looking faith, desire, the author of Hebrews says, the Greek can mean to strive or to aspire to, that is, they long for, they crave the heavenly homeland. Therefore God is pleased to be called their God, For indeed, he has prepared for those with faith such a city. And this is the focus of faith. The permanent home. And the builder of that permanent home. God. Jesus talked about that city. You remember, near the end of his life, before he was arrested, he was talking with the disciples, and he said, I go to prepare a place for you, that I may take you back to be with me. A permanent place a residence for his people. John the Apostle spoke of such a place. Revelation 21, 1-4, through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. for the former things have passed away. <laughs> Our permanent place of residence is a place without pain and without sorrow. So as Abraham exercised this forward-looking faith, Christians do as well. The author is direct about it. Hebrews 13, 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. By faith, Abraham believed. At this point, I think the author uh, anticipated a question from his readers. They might have asked something like, well, what does that have to do with now? What does forward-looking faith have to do with now? What do I do with forward-looking faith? Well, the author answers that from Abraham's life. And before we get into the passage, I'd like to show a a movie clip. Um, This uh, is not a clip from Iron Man uh, or the Avengers or Star Wars or not even Star Trek. It's a clip from a movie called uh, The Bible in the Beginning. It was produced in 1966 uh, when I was just a young lad and dirt was young. long, long time ago. Um, And it's funny, when I was looking for the clip, it had a description of the the principles. You know, it listed the director and some of the stars, you know, um, John Huston, Ava Gardner, uh, George C. Scott, God, was listed. I thought that was appropriate. (laughs) Um, But the movie is about uh, the first 22 chapters of Genesis, and Understandably so Since most of the first 22 chapters of Genesis are about Abraham The movie is mostly about Abraham And you got to remember It's 1966, there's no CGI You know, there's no fancy uh, uh, Stuff that, that they could put in the movie Iron Man doesn't show up uh, So, you know, some of, the, some of the If you look at some of the graphics Not so much in the clip you're going to see You know, it doesn't seem like things would seem today If it was made today but even so, it's a pretty well-made uh, well movie. Uh, they have the characters talking King James English, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but the clip I want to show you is the clip uh, where Abraham, it'll begin where Abraham hears the voice of God calling him to sacrifice Isaac. So I'm going to turn off the lights because it's a little dark and turn up the volume and you go ahead. Thanks, God. Abraham. Abraham. night is filled with thy voice. Here am I. What dost thou demand of me? Thy son. Thy only son. Now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go into the mountains, where I shall show thee, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Which thou, I do even as the Canaanites who lay their firstborn on fires before idols, Art thou truly the Lord my God? Thou knowest. Take leave of thy mother. Mother, I'm going on a journey. A journey? We are going on a journey of three days. I am going with my father. What dost thou tell me? A journey unto the land of Moria. And to Moria... Why unto Maria? God hath commanded that we go there, to sacrifice unto him. Six days must I wait for thee. Mother, it is a little time. I waited for thee until I was old. The days are precious to me. Isaac, Isaac. What should I fear? If thou goest with thy father, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in fact was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Abraham, who had received those promises, including the promise of a descendant, here has the sense of taking possession of the promises, receiving the promises. He had taken possession of the promise of a land. He had taken possession of the promise of a great nation. And those promises were predicated on Isaac. And yet he offered up Isaac. I showed this clip... Because I think it shows what Abraham might have done when God called him to sacrifice Isaac. The Bible doesn't talk about his reaction, his emotional reactions. But I think he might have done what George C. Scott showed. No. Not just no, how can you ask me to do this? How can you ask me to suffer like this? How can you ask me to sacrifice the son that you promised me? That you promised would be the heir to the promise of the land and to the, the, uh, the beginning of a great nation. How could you do this? But by the next morning, Abraham believed. He believed somehow the unbelievable. When Isaac asked his father on the way up to the place of sacrifice, he said, Father, here's the fire, here's the wood. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham replied, God will provide. I think it's that response that prompted the author of Hebrews to say that Abraham considered that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Forward-looking faith believes God will provide that permanent place of dwelling with him where where we will no longer be sojourners. If I believe that God will provide a city, if I believe that he'll provide a city with firm foundations, If I believe that God is the one who will build that city, and if I believe that that is a permanent place, how can I believe, or how can I not believe, (laughs) the promises he gives now, even if I never see them? And I can believe that he will provide what needs to be provided in the hard things that he calls me to do. And then, by faith, Isaac, Jacob, or Jacob, Isaac Jacob, and Joseph get the genealogy right hebrews eleven twenty through twenty two the author ends this section by briefly noted noting the forward looking faith of abraham's descendants hebrews eleven twenty through twenty two by faith Isaac invoked the future blessings on Jacob and Esau by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of those sons each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff by faith Joseph. At the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You know, Isaac wasn't given to bold demonstrations of faith. But he still developed a faith that looked forward. And he was able to see what God had intended for Jacob and Esau. Looking to what God would do with each of them. To do with each of them in their lives and the lives of their descendants. We won't take time to look at it, but you could find that in Genesis 27, 27 through 40. And then Jacob, as his name suggests, was a deceiver, and he had trouble trusting God. But still, he learned faith that looked forward by blessing the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, elevating the younger son, Ephraim, to the status of the firstborn. And he also spoke of their future, their future in God's plans and what God would do with them. You find that in Genesis 48, 8-22. through 22. And then Joseph, in contrast to Isaac and Jabba, Jacob, was a man who was full of faith. He lived his life trusting God. Enabled by God, Joseph expressed his forward-looking faith. He prophesied about what would become of the nation of Israel, that it would be delivered from Egypt, and that they would take possession of the land that was promised to Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis fifty, twenty four and 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. You know, the thing to notice, that in addition to people who have forward-looking faith, who, with confidence that God will provide that homeland, who realize that faith includes the conviction of unseen things, people like that do what God says. Isaac and Jacob blessed their descendants in the now. Abraham offered up Isaac. Joseph prophesied about the future of the nation. Like Abraham, who believed that God would provide faith that looks forward to the heavenly city, acts in the present, to believe that God will act because he is trustworthy. You know, often such faith does things that might be looked at as unusual or downright weird. It's the faith of Rahab, believing that if she protected the spies, that she and her family would be protected, and she did that at the risk of her death. It's the faith of Hannah, seeking God's favor for a child. It's the faith of Moses, believing that God will part the Red Sea. It's the faith of Daniel's friends, who willingly stepped into the furnace, knowing that God, and telling Nebuchadnezzar that God would either vindicate them now or later. It's the faith of you and I when we trust God, even when it seems weird or impossible. I want to highlight a few features of faith as we close here. As we noted earlier today, that if you're a believer in Christ, you've already taken the biggest step of of faith that you've ever taken in your life. You are trusting Christ for your eternity, and by definition, the faith you have placed in Christ looks forward. You're looking for the heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. Because like Abraham, we're not citizens of this world. You consider yourself a foreigner, and a stranger, and an alien. Some of you a little stranger than others. Rather, as Paul said, we are citizens of the household of God. As Peter said... First in First Peter, he said, we are elect exiles. In Second Peter, he said, we are sojourners in exiles. This place is not our home. The faith you have in Christ has been, has been given to you. Peter said that your faith was granted to you. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We have faith to believe all the promises of God because our faith looks forward to that permanent city. Your faith is imperfect. So is mine. So is Abraham's. And with imperfect faith, we can understand the faith of the Father who came to Jesus with a demon-possessed son, asking Jesus to heal him, As recorded in Mark 9, the father said, but if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you are able, I don't think he was being sarcastic. I don't think he was chastising the father. He goes on to say, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Have you ever said that? Even with imperfect faith, our faith looks forward to God who builds that heavenly city with firm foundation and who vindicates our trust in him, even today. And then finally, faith is not a matter of amount or volume. To be sure, there are believers who have what we call great faith. She has great faith. Some people have the spiritual gift of faith. People with the spiritual gift of faith can believe the most outlandish things, that God will do, and God does it. You may remember a fellow named George Mueller. First, he's a preacher, and he was an evangelist in 19th century England. He caught on to ministering to orphans. He eventually built at least five orphanages in England that served over 10,000 orphans who are always well fed, who are always well taken care of, and who are always well educated. And the only person that George Mueller ever asked for money to support the orphanages, was God. George Mueller did not uh, have a chicken rubber chicken dinner fundraiser. I'm not against fundraisers. I'm against rubber chickens. He never went from church to church starting giving campaigns. He never went to rich people and say, please give me money. He simply asked God and God provided he never fell short of funds, and he was never in debt. Big faith, certainly. But consider what Jesus said about faith. Matthew 17, 14 through 20. And they came to the crowd. By the way, this is probably the same incident from Matthew's point of view uh, that we just saw in Mark 9. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, came up to him kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has had seizures and he suffers terribly. For he often falls in the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Think about what Jesus just said. He said, you have little faith. But on the other hand, he said, if you have a little faith, nothing is impossible. Faith isn't about volume or belief. We may, or or the amount of belief, we may cry out to God for healing or for resources or for a job or for the salvation of a loved one, or like Abraham might provide, ask God to provide a lamb for the sacrifice, not knowing how God will respond and not knowing if he'll respond in the way we want him to. We may even cry out, Lord, help me in my unbelief. The faith you have in Christ has been given to you by God. Your faith looks forward to the heavenly city because God is the one who builds it. If your faith trusts God for that, you can trust God for the thing that you're praying about right now. Knowing that God will act because He is trustworthy and you already have believed him in the biggest step of faith that you have ever taken. I'll finish with a quote, not from C.S. Lewis, but from one of C.S. Lewis's favorite authors, George MacDonald. Let us step into the darkness and reach out for the hand of God. The path of faith and darkness is so much safer than the one we would choose by sight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the faith that you have given us. And thank you, Father, that you understand our imperfect faith. Help us, Father, in our faith to remember that we are foreigners and that we are temporary residents here, that we don't belong here, that this is not our home, but our home is at the place that you have built for us, the permanent place with firm foundations that you have built. So, Father, may we trust that. May we trust you, knowing that you have built that place, and, Father, then taking that trust and applying it to our lives here and now, knowing that you will act because you are trustworthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.